So Kendall and I were started talking about 15 years ago. I was feeling really stressed about the state of the environment and climate change and wanting to do something to help but was feeling fairly helpless about it. And so we started this kind of journey back then of making changes to our life and doing it just a little bit at a time. One change at a time was what the idea was. And um, and our life looks really different now than it did 15 years ago. <laughs> and we weren't setting out for any particular goal. We were just setting out to keep following this path or creating this path um, to try to match our life up more and more with the values that we had. And a huge value was taking care of the place that we live, this earth, and um, taking care of the people and the animals that live here as well. Do you remember um, when... Maybe we can look this up. But when you started blogging at One Change, thinking of like making one change at a time and having it be this incremental thing came after you already blogging or was it the other way around? Do you remember? It was the other way around because we started talking about this and you had said to, um, to start a blog about it and then you wanted to know what did I want to call it. And I... I think I decided I wanted to call it one change. I mean, I know I decided I wanted to call it one change because I really believe that we can make big changes if we take it a little bit at a time, or even if it's a big bit at a time, but something that we can actually sustain doing that will be a lot more successful and we'll be able to maintain that change instead of trying to do like a huge overhaul that was really overwhelming. I think that part of it came up as a conversation because... I probably wanted to do a huge overhaul (laughs) and you probably said that's a really bad idea. Like we won't, we can't do all those different things at the same time. And so I think it was a combination of those things where we arrived at that. But we did, we started doing it. I think we started with different stuff like not using um, disposable plastic was a big one at the beginning, using getting like reusable bags, canvas bags for bringing to the grocery store, just trying to get our trash down. Um, And once we kind of got that integrated solidly, we would move on to something else. I think it's funny because I remember things that um, over the years, (laughs) it's, we think about these one changes at a time and there are things that pop into my head where we tried something and we're like, Nope, can't do that. Like I remember, (laughs) I remember that we were like, we're not going to buy toothpaste anymore. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to make our own toothpaste. We can do this. Like, and so we like looked up online and we're like, yeah, baking soda. And like, Dr. Bronner's <laughs> and, and <laughs> so we got like a little cup of baking soda and then we got our Dr. Bronner's and we put it in there and we started brushing our teeth. I remember like I can I can still taste it. Like put it in my mouth, 
and started brushing my teeth and it feels like it's like gritty <laughs> and soapy and like salty and I'm trying to be like yeah man we can do this we got this we kind of I think we tried to keep it up for a little bit and then we're just like yeah you know what that is not the one that's going to stick for us and I think that that's an interesting the point. other person felt relieved. Just totally so like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> um, but I think that that's like a good illustration of like not every change is going to stick or work. Um, but it's like finding what well, in yoga, um, you talk about finding your edges. I'm not a yoga practitioner, really. Uh, Molly is. But that was one thing that I've tried a little bit of uh, as well. But like. I remember one thing that I have taken from that is like finding your edges and finding where it is that you need to push and um, stretch and grow. And, and I think that that that's one of those where it's like, yep, that's the edge we got there. Like baking soda, homemade toothpaste is, is a little bit past where we're comfortable being right now. Maybe in the future we'll get back there. Maybe not. I totally agree. And one of the things that, that made me think of is when we were doing Grounded Magazine a couple years ago. It was a magazine for parents trying to offer up some support and inspiration. And part of it was we had these articles called ad hoc articles where they weren't part of the issue that we were publishing, um, but somebody had submitted and um, that we wanted to still share it anyway. So they just kind of came out randomly but some it was an article that was about do you remember who it was written by i can't no it doesn't matter um i think we can probably link it up in the show notes um but she it was really thoughtful and when we read it we knew that it was kind of controversial and that we hoped people wouldn't get upset by it but we knew that that it was possible but the reason we decided to publish it is she was really thoughtful and I felt like she was being vulnerable and sharing her process of just coming to a decision of how many kids she was going to have and she it was a really hard decision for her she had always thought she was going to have a really large family a big brood of kids Um, but one of the decisions she wanted to make was to only have two kids because of kind of research she had done about environmental impact. Um, and we received um, an email from somebody who read it that was really upset. And there may have been other people as well. But um, she was really upset about the article. She felt not supported by it. I understood where she was coming from. And I, looking back, I wish that we had had more of a conversation with her about it. I think what I... I wish that we had talked about with that is that she was just talking about her path and the place that she had arrived at and she was not in any way saying that that was a spot that everybody should be getting to or anybody else but what I hope from us sharing different things and other people sharing different things isn't that everyone's gonna take the same path is that people will be inspired by other people who are thinking about this stuff. Maybe you love baking soda toothpaste. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) And so as 
we talk about this stuff. Yeah, the baking soda toothpaste, <laughs> not for us right now. But it's always been our thinking with this is that we're trying on different stuff and some stuff works and some stuff doesn't. And what you were saying with yoga from all your yoga experience. <laughs> was <laughs> I was able to do a headstand. You were. Um, and then I broke my toe. It's <laughs> a little bit dramatic. That's not totally. <laughs> then as I fell down the stairs and I broke my toe and I stopped. I was doing yoga twice a week early, early in the morning. And then one morning it was dark out and I missed the bottom stair and fell and broke my toe. I think that might have been the last time I did yoga, honestly. It was the last <laughs> time you did yoga. And I remember you went to the physical therapist and they did not say your toe was broken. It was like sprained or something. Um, anyways. Compound fracture or something. <laughs> no, that's not. It was really bad. Uh, so, I don't even know what we were talking about anymore. But Baking soda toothpaste? Stop. <laughs> so, changes that we've made, trying on different stuff. Um, then we just kept doing it. Food was a big one for us. Changing the way we ate. Finding a farmer who's um practices were making the soil better not worse yeah after we um i think one thing that was cool was after we moved to seattle it turned out that like a half a block away from our apartment was uh the broadway farmers market and then after the next apartment we lived in it was even closer so i guess yeah even closer than <laughs> half a block <laughs> I might have exaggerated the first one. It was <laughs> a block and a half, and then it was half a block. Anyway, um, <laughs> the farmer's market was in our basement. Um, but we met uh, <laughs> we met a farmer who was a potato farmer and a rancher, and we his name was Brent, and we chatted him up, and we talked to him, and eventually... Like after our first son was born, our son's name is Finn and he, we went to the farmer's market and I was like, Hey Brent, we had our baby. And I told him his name and he had yellow fin potatoes. And so he like bagged up a bunch of potatoes and gave them to us, um, as like a present. Uh, and so it's like building that relationship with that farmer was, um, I think that was something that was important. To in in kind of facilitating that change, to working with local farmers and and buying from them and that kind of stuff. We changed the way we thought about how much money we spent on food too, or how much of our budget we spent on food. Um, it was influenced a lot by reading Fields of Plenty by Michael Abelman, where he talked about. Um, I think it was like up until the 1940s, people spent one third of their income on food. And now we spend less per capita on food than any other industrialized country. We made changes to our budget, um, cut out different things that we were spending money on. We stopped really going out to eat very or nearly as much um, and started cooking food a lot it for ourselves and our bodies were healthier and happier for it some of these changes have become so much a part of how our family does stuff now that we don't even really think of them as 
anything else now than that that's how we do it. It hasn't been sacrifices really. Like it's been, our life has been better because we've made these different changes to it. So what's been the easiest change that we've made so far? The easiest? I would say, I actually would say living without a car for a few years at that time in our life was the easiest because we lived right centrally in the city. We walked a lot of places and looked like to look around the city and explore and it was actually easier on foot. We took public transportation. I think that was probably the easiest. What do you think has been the most rewarding change? One of the most rewarding changes has been having our own garden. It's something that I've been passionate about for a long time, growing food and the environment and taking care of natural places. And I've volunteered at farms and food bank gardens over the years. Um, Shortly after moving to Seattle, I was offered a job at a really great farm and for various reasons turned it down. And then after graduating from college, I got an internship at a nonprofit teaching garden, but found out I was unexpectedly pregnant and was sick for most of the pregnancy and was unable to do the internship as a result. So I was very excited to have a garden. Um, You know, my life could have looked a lot of different ways and they all would have felt like me, but after having kids, spending my days with them has felt what's been the most fulfilling to me at this stage in my life. But I still have these other parts of me and having our own garden has allowed me to pursue some of those. Um, We've transformed it a lot since we moved in. There was a big deck in the middle of it. Um, It was really run down and just not used a whole lot, I don't think. The, the deck actually took up a lot of usable space because it was so large. And so we took that down. Actually, while I was pregnant with my second son, Kendall and Finn, our oldest son, took it apart. I got to sit back and watch them. Even after that, while I was pregnant, we did a lot of work. Um, there was one day where it was pouring rain the day that a bunch of soil got delivered for us and so Kendall and I were out there trying to haul it out of the alley where it had been put um, and get it into into our backyard and I was I'm trying I was you know five or six months pregnant during that and so it's like we just have done all of these different things we planted a bunch of apple trees and we've got flowers throughout the garden medicinal plants and incorporate plants that can provide habitat and food and there's also raised beds so we can grow food for ourselves as well Uh, we've been working over the past I think four years now to build up the health of the soil so that it's all the plants are healthier as a result the ones that we've planted and healthy soil also means you need to water less the when it does rain the soil is able to disperse the water so it's not running off so we've done a lot of work we're continuing to do work to build up the health of our soil and taken a few years to be able to see the results of it but our garden is now so full of life 
There's a variety of birds and bees and other insects in it. And uh, it's really great to be out there and to see it transform from this dead space to this one that's so flourishing with life. And um, there's Charles Foster in Being a Beast, writes about uh, like a few different animals, but uh, I want to read you something from the chapter on swifts. These are facts about swifts because they are facts about the world, and swifts are part of the world, as I am. Sometimes they are not so far away. Just now, a few feet from my head, a swift has struck straight up, as straight as a plumb line, without breaking or stalling, into the roof. As fast as thought, though bolder. If something is only as fast as thought, perhaps thought can keep pace. Yet thought cannot snatch the blueness of the height, or know that the whole life of each swift is a gasp. This swift was bringing a ball of 500 insects bound with saliva to bald nestlings in a hot vent in the eaves. Screams down our street at the level of my upstairs study. It looks in at the making of books, people, and tea. On flowery duvets, Edwardian plasterwork, fake baronial paneling, rows of monographs on the glories of the Quattro Centro, on bears, skulls, Tibetan masks, psychotic dolls, and a lot of polite desperation. It screams up and down for no reason except that it is good to scream, and because the day deserves it. It is not hunting for aphids, airborne beetles, or sex. I can join it in the pointless scream. This swift hatched in Oxford four years ago. For six weeks it swelled like a boil. Then it toppled out toward our trash cans, bound its wings before it hit the railings, roosted that night in the air a couple of miles above Oxford, flapping occasionally into the wind and circling slowly up, and then, two weeks later, started on a journey to Africa. It came back the following summer, circled our house, didn't breed, went again, again, and again to Africa, came back to Oxford, and then found a hole in the house and a home for its semen. Until it flew into our roof above my head, it hadn't touched the ground, or a tree, or a building, or anything but insects and the air in four years. If the swifts didn't come, we'd be stuck with what we've got. They were very late this year. I panicked. I'd get up very early, thinking that I'd heard a scream, and rushed to the window. There was nothing there but pigeons, as ponderous as I am, pigeons who sleep in trees and squat in the dirt. And then, as I was lying on my back, they were suddenly there. "'Why are you crying, Daddy?' said Rachel, who was watching my face instead of the sky. "'Because it's all right,' I said. "'Because the world still works.' "'Okay,' she said. "'They're always suddenly there. We're suddenly not there.'" That's how I feel when I see the birds and the bees and all those other insects that are in our backyard. It's how it's supposed to be. They're a part of the world, and so am I. Mm -hmm. 